This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcode.com. Welcome back to the Short Code Podcast. It's a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I don't know if you knew that. I'm Dave Etler. On today's show, listener feedback, both positive and negative brain-to-brain interfaces, why you might want to drink your own urine, and a bad reason for choosing a medical school according to science. All coming up on SCP featuring my nutritious and delicious co-hosts, Irisa Mahapan. Yeehaw! Mahapan. Keep trying. Mahapan. <laughs> Mahapan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, by the time you graduate, I will have your name correct. Okay, but yeah, I hope to have your name correct one day too. I'm also uh, joined by newbies. Justin Haberbag. How's it going? Did I do that right? Yeah, it was pretty good. All right. And Annie Rempel. That was great. That's Re- me. It's not Rempel. It's Rempel. Rempel like Red Bull. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you get okay. that a lot. <laughs> yeah, how, how appropriate. Uh, <laughs> Justin, Annie, tell us about yourselves. Where you're from. Why did you come to medical school? What makes... I want to know, and I think our listeners want to know, what makes Justin and Annie tick? You can start. All right. Um, I hail from Fresno, California. Oh, another Californian in Iowa. <laughs> Except that I spent most summers in Iowa, actually, oh, okay. with some grandparents. Oh, that's nice. Uh, you, so had an, you have an Iowa way about you, I think. Oh, do I? Yeah, I've, that's what I've gleaned in the last half an hour. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure what that means, but I, I feel honored to uh, have that title. It means you're laid back. <laughs> You're, uh, he's calling you stoic. Yours, yes, I think. No, no, no. You're, you're, you're. I don't know. Could be. You're, you're, you're laid back. You're uh, 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 down to earth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. I'm. Take yep. it as you like. I great. <laughs> Fresno, California. Uh, what did you study as an undergrad? I studied human biology. Okay. Uh, and then I stayed. Um, and did a master's actually in environmental sciences, looking at how the environment impacts human health. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Justin, you, our listeners might think that you're an MD, but you're an MD student, but you're not, are you? I'm actually in disguise. I am a first year PA student. Nice. So. Whoa. Nice. <laughs> the big reveal. Whoa. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. We, we, uh, we don't get a lot of PAs on the show, even though the invitation is open to everybody. I mean, the truth is you guys have a, have a shorter program uh, or a shorter time in med school, but I appreciate your coming along and I hope you will continue to join us. What did you do before med school? Uh, so I'm from Texas. Mm-hmm. I went to the University of Austin or University of Texas in Austin mm-hmm. and uh, I got a psych degree there. Me so. too. I had a psych degree. Oh, really? Yeah. Very cool. A bachelor of Arts in Psychology. Let me tell you something. You can do a lot with a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology, like not being anything important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually got a Bachelor of Science. I thought oh, that was super well. special, see, right? See, now that's what I'm talking about. From the Liberal Arts College. Science. Nice. Yeah. So. I think my sister's like a, got a psych degree or something like that. Yeah. yeah we're, we're, we're out there. For me, it was the one that would allow me to graduate in four years after I got done f***ing around. That sounds That's about right. Fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad that you're here. 
I appreciate your uh, your joining us for the first time. Aline is is here. She'll she'll make her way to the microphones. Very excited <laughs> about that. You may remember Courtney. Courtney got in touch with us a while back. Um, she is a mom of three tykes, and she has med school ambitions and a healthcare background. And if I remember correctly, we told her that uh, despite her lack of time to do what pre-meds do to get into med school, she's going to be just fine. Um, but she got in touch with us again. Uh, let's see what Courtney has to say. I messaged you a while back about whether or not it was plausible for me to parent my three daughters under five years old and accomplish med school. Though I'm not there yet, I continue to work in that direction. What I'm finding is that it, in order to be a desirable candidate for med school, I should be participating in at least one extracurricular club, shadowing two plus days a week, and volunteering in free clinics for literally anything. Short coats. This is just not possible. Mm -hmm. I spend any time not directly caring for the kids, studying, and sometimes both at the same time just to keep up. How important will the extracurricular content be when I apply? And if I just cannot make that work, if I take them cut and finish my bachelor's, can there be a time delay before I apply? Thank you, you guys are the best. P.S. Congratulations to everyone getting ready for the next chapter. You will be missed. Aww. Courtney. Ah, Courtney. Hmm. Thanks for uh, thanks for your questions. Um, I don't know. So again, Courtney has a background in healthcare. I think we know that from her previous call, unless I'm Wait. confusing her with somebody else. A background, like what background? Uh, I want to say radiology, radio tech, something like that. Okay. But you know, she has that uh what do you guys think about uh her questions first of all let's deal with the extracurricular activities and things of that nature that many pre-meds spend a lot of time doing i first off hello hi <laughs> hi um a friend hi how's it going so i feel like pre-meds do a lot of extracurriculars because they have the time on their hands mm. and so Maybe the advice we can give to Courtney is that caring for her children is essentially what other people go out of their way to do, you know, but in in other ways. And so, like, sh like she could potentially frame being a mother as a, a form of care for disadvantaged and not disadvantaged. But do you see? I, I know where you're going with that. Yeah. I, she is but basically if I can maybe extrapolate what you're saying. Mm -hmm. She is doing something amazing yep. already. Yes, exactly. And that counts for a lot. Medical schools don't necessarily just want people. And you can, and, and Justin, you can verify if this is true for PAs as well from dealing with your classmates. We don't necessarily want people who, um, you know, do all the you know extracurricular things who um you know who who uh you know check checking off boxes that's not what we want mm -hmm. we want people who are awesome know what i'm saying who that's are doing incredible who things. are doing incredible things yeah. um the fact that you're uh in healthcare already means that you don't have to i don't think you have to worry about shadowing as much mm -hmm. if at all mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. agreed 
the fact that you're a mother means that you, even if you wanted to do extracurricular activities, you probably can't. So don't worry about that. Yeah, caring for mm -hmm. children is a, an extracurricular activity. In and of <laughs> yeah, a yes. mandatory extracurricular. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I think maybe we should also remember that there are lots of different medical schools, and they all want a different kind of student. So, exactly. Of course, um, don't get me wrong. Like having a bunch of extracurriculars and research activity, that it's going to be be a plus with any school. But some schools will consider that more important than other schools, and some schools will consider that less important. Yeah. There is a medical, I'm sure there's a medical school out there um, that's a great fit for you. There absolutely is a medical school out there for people in uh, Courtney's position. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think um, part of the reason why you do extracurricular activities is so you have something to talk about that tells them about you. Mm -hmm. And you want those activities to show that you're growing and you're learning somehow. And I definitely think, you know, working and supporting your family and are signs of you being a person who's advancing and moving forward. And mm -hmm. I think that. Yep. You know, if you can't do an extracurricular, you just have to take what you're already doing yeah. and apply it in that sense. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think sometimes we forget that those who are actually like interviewing us at, or, or reviewing our applications are like humans too. And I think that uh, if they see, they read or they hear in your interview that, that you're a caregiver for your own children, um, they're really going to like pick up on that and recognize that that is something that takes a lot of time and effort and a certain skill set that maybe like doing some superficial shadowing once a month doesn't really allow for. Yeah, I agreed. I think that she brings a whole different depth of experience that like I don't have that that I'm well, I don't know about you, but <laughs> that, um, that, that a lot of a lot of our classmates don't have and I think that's something unique about her. Mm -hmm. I understand that if you go on the internet or maybe talk or talk um, talk to other applicants or other people, you are going to for sure hear a lot of people saying, oh, no, without all these extracurriculars or without all this, how are you supposed to make an impact? There's nothing about you that stands out otherwise. Or your kids are going to be a disadvantage in medical school and people are going to look down on you for that. Sure, I'm sure it's true of some schools, but I don't think that's the whole truth to the story. And if you hear that, keep keep on doing what you're doing and don't mind them. Yeah, I, that's what I was going to sort of end with in a way is, <laughs> yeah. is like, you know, uh, Courtney, stop. Don't worry about all that uh, crap you read on the Internet. Um, that's true for a certain group of people, pr probably. Mm -hmm. um, it may people not be People who true. have enough time to be sitting around on the Internet. And people who don't have yeah. a lot of life experience. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, a lot of, you know, 18 to 22 year olds who are looking to get into med school they've only done college yeah. and so they need experience to mm -hmm. show you know that they have the maturity the, necessary the, right mm -hmm. yeah right but can you imagine that like somewhere out there on the internet a 21 year old is probably telling Courtney that she doesn't have the experience or the maturity for medical school and that's frankly ridiculous bogus 100%. Mm -hmm. bogus we are sharing for you so hard even if you even if things don't turn out this way and you go another path we are still sharing for you yep mm-hmm mm -hmm. Speaking of other paths, I just want to like plug the PA profession <laughs> real quick. Yes, Thank you. Yes. So, you know, like since you have a family, that's actually one of the reasons why I chose PA over MD because, you know, I wanted to have a family and being in school for a shorter time means I'll have more time for that later. I'm not going to do residency. I'll have less debt at the end of it. So, I mean, preach, you know, brother. Just uh, just something to think about. So, yeah, absolutely. Do you have a family now? No, but that's you know, okay planning yeah. no nope, absolutely i just yeah. was curious it, mm -hmm. um 
Yeah, that's a good plug for PAs. I've often, you know, I think everybody in this room has on occasion gone, oh. <laughs> oh, believe me. Be I, I think I that, you know, it, at this school, I think the workload is the same for the first couple of... Two weeks? I'm um, two years. Two, two years. years. Sorry, excuse me. I was about to be like, it's been two months. So. <laughs> oh, no, definitely. Like, some of my friends were PAs that graduated um, in the last, last class, and, like, if, if they, I almost did not know they were PAs. We were just always together all the time. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about um, about Iowa is it's easy to, to mm -hmm. lose track of that, Um group of people because we all look the same up until a certain point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I got invited to the PA volleyball game. So yay. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are, are you playing? Oh no, I can't play volleyball to save my life. <laughs> it's more of a social event just than a sporting event. <laughs> I just bought cupcakes and everyone seemed happy. <laughs> <laughs> they just want you to watch. That's fine. So Courtney, good luck. Keep us posted. Ask more questions. Mm -hmm. um, happy to help. Mm -hmm. uh, guys, on a less um, happy note. Oh man, where are you going with this? I am tired of Does talking about- Does someone die? No. <laughs> I am tired of talking about obesity. I don't, I, I gotta be honest. We did get some feedback. And oh, I, we did. And I would like to, uh, to address that feedback, but it's maybe the last time I talk about obesity for a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this Good feedback, and then we're putting a moratorium on mm -hmm. obesity. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to write to me, fine, but I might not. <laughs> might not, might not address be, it on the show. Might not make it on the show. Fair <laughs> warning. Uh, Marlene did write in with some rebuttals to our usual uninformed statements, which is like shooting fish in a barrel. <laughs> I, I won't go over all over them. I won't go over all of them mostly because I just don't feel qualified. But she did say something uh, salient and. She said many salient things, but this is the one that I would like to talk about. So say what you will, but if med school has taught me anything, it's that our food culture is one of a denial. We make up any excuse to eat what we like and overeat it when we know there are healthier ways. I feel <laughs> I'm like sitting, that's true. I'm just yeah. sitting here holding a piece of white bread in one hand. You're fine. <laughs> but I baked it myself, you so it's healthy. You made it yourself, yes. <laughs> no, that's not you how it works. You expended the calories necessary to eat that bread. Gosh, I'm going to get arthritis. <laughs> <laughs> no, eating bread. Oh, sorry, back to Marlene's comment. <laughs> so I think, I think I have one issue with the statement that we decided to put in the show, which is the matter of choice. I think um, it's not really a choice if the only options you have are unhealthy foods. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's part of the problem with the obesity question is that we, and you know, we've talked about this a lot, how we tend to sort of, I don't know, criminalize almost um, like obese people as if, you know, they've made a conscious choice to to be obese. Yeah. And so, and as if it's a, a failure of will or a, fail, a failure of character that they became obese. Um, but we forget that like we live in a country where consumer culture is so prevalent and we're really more than anything victims of marketing, mm. you know? Um, yeah, you know, foods that are not great for us are so heavily marketed. Like if vegetables had better PR, I guarantee we'd be, you know, eating vegetables more. Yeah, where's but. the Vegetable Council of America? You know, like- Right here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I went to, uh, um, I went to Job House this morning, not a sponsor, and <laughs> I, uh, oh, did you bring us anything? I did not, but I, I did order myself a breakfast sandwich, and I was looking, you know, it says you can have two proteins, and I'm like, oh, great, protein. So I look at the list of proteins, and one of them is hash browns. <laughs> <laughs> really? Hash huh. browns, I, mm. 
There may be protein in hash browns, but I don't think we can classify hash browns as a protein, people. On one mm. hand, yes, they are correct in that all living things are made out of proteins and potatoes are living things. On the other hand, they're just plain wrong. Yeah. A single <laughs> amino acid does not constitute a protein. <laughs> Tell it to my bread. And to continue that, I, um, I, I joked about that with the, uh, with the uh, cashier at the you know the barista i don't know what you call them the you call person, them coffee artist the coffee sir. artist <laughs> and uh, as i ordered it and i did not and then sh when i got it it had hash browns on it so i think she thought <laughs> i wanted a That's what breakfast sandwich with hash browns bacon and uh, uh sausage on it it's not what i wanted but <laughs> what are Sounds hash good. browns actually they're just chopped up potatoes like, like yeah. mixed okay. with uh, potatoes. with egg i think to bind them Ooh. together and then fried mm. up if you really want to know, hash browns or hash browns or any kind of hash dish are actually referred to any dishes that are made from like chopped up ingredients of any leftovers or any other like surplus of any sort. So yes. you can have a cabbage hash, you can have a beef hash, you can but have any kind of hash. hash. But yeah, hash browns are potatoes that have, that have chopped up into small pieces and have undergone the Mylar reaction in a hot pan. Wow! Yeah. Huh. Look wow! At that. That's interesting. Um, that's a fancy saying they're good. Yeah, they are good. <laughs> they don't belong in breakfast sandwich. I was about to say, how do you put that in a sandwich? That seems a little They belong off. within a sandwich. You know, so that's they all. just like pile it on top? Like a top Yeah, you know, you can go to yeah. McDonald's and you get the hash browns and they're like a patty. Oh, uh, yeah, so it's, it's like, like fried. Just slap that on the, little, yeah. Yeah. There's no reason for that. Mm -hmm. There's no reason for that. Yeah. I did eat it because I told myself, <laughs> as, as Marlene might expect, I told myself, well, I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I can't, there's no way to, to separate it from the other ingredients at this point. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I guess I gotta eat it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So but, I think that's what mm -hmm. she means by, um, you know, by, by fooling ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, maybe she would agree with your state and I totally agree with your statement that, you know, the, the, our culture does not make it, um, I don't know, in some ways possible for desirable, a lot of people. Desirable, yeah. or sexy, mm -hmm. or desirable. appealing. Well, even yeah. possible. I mean, it's easy to yeah. get like, you know, government cheese or whatever that's Ooh. made mostly with like oil. No, we're not mentioning that. Mm -hmm. So anyway, yeah, but, agreed. Yeah. I, I agree in, in many ways with Marlene, mm -hmm. and I also understand what you're saying. Yeah, I just want to make a plug for uh, socialism, which is that like this is, <laughs> this is a perfect function for the government to fill is to make laws that make... I don't know, create an incentive for us to make vegetables more appealing or to, you know, to use mar the forces of marketing essentially mm -hmm. to, yeah, draw people towards healthier food options, right? Because mm -hmm. when it's a profit driven system, of course, like vegetables are harder to grow than to make food out of chemicals in a lab, you know? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of these foods that you're talking about, <laughs> they were at one point quote unquote food, but you know, with the advent of refrigeration and you know, flash freezing, you've taken food and made it easy to store, but now you've removed nutrients mm -hmm. and you know, color and smell. And so that I think gave rise to the, the flavoring and the, what's it called? The fragrance and the flavoring industry, which like is an entire industry built on masking how shitty your ingredients are, <laughs> yeah, and kind making of. you want mm -hmm. them. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like there are literally chemicals that are engineered to like give a burst of flavor and then dissipate immediately, which is you what you want more. Exactly. Yeah. That's why you eat so quickly because yeah. you're trying to get that flavor again. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, just a small point though. I th- when you say refrigeration flash process and like fresh thing, I think that those are actually highly beneficial for for preserving nutrients. I think that you're more referring to like all the process and like the hydronization, yeah. just yeah. mixing all of these like just processing into something that it has never been before. Yeah, <laughs> is totally. right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I love food. Yeah, <laughs> I we often you know like in my house we're often like mm, we should eat better. But we can't because we're so busy. Let's watch Netflix. Yeah, no, but that's but that's the thing. Healthy eating either um, either requires either a lot of money or a lot of time. Mm -hmm. You can buy the ingredients for really cheap, and you can make them all yourself. That takes hours. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I want to say that when I say you know, again, I want to be careful when I say that is our problem. That is our problem. That's not everybody's Mm -hmm. problem who um, has who has trouble accessing good food. Mm-hmm. Well, like that's where the government could step in and like subsidize. I don't know. You know I would much production. rather our government allow mining companies to dump uh, tailings into the ocean, <laughs> um, yeah. nominate uh, Supreme Court justices who too soon. Are, too soon. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that? Well, I mean, yeah. it hasn't happened yet, did right? They, but did they vote? Did they, they voted yeah. to yeah. move yeah. on, yeah, preliminary yeah. into the Senate nomination process, <laughs> which is I've tomorrow. I've been really I bummed out just the whole last week. It's just it's yeah. been odd. I've yeah. got a lot we of opinions, really, you know, and yeah, yeah, I'm just screaming quietly on the inside this whole yeah, time. Yeah, that's that's pretty much <laughs> it. Yep, I think that's, that's how, how I do most it. Most people seem to be feeling. Yeah. Laura seemed more annoyed at us. Laura, she had this to say, Laura. If you honestly want valid information, then I suggest actually going to commonsenseketogenics.com. No. Going carb-free <laughs> has scientific validation. The M1s you had on your podcast were very misinformed and that diabetics actually overcome their diabetes using keto. Mm. Ketosis is not ketogenesis. The body can heal itself. I've been sitting 100 pounds overweight for several years. I am down 35 pounds. I've only just begun my journey. If you want truth, seriously, that webpage has information including studies that support keto over and beyond epilepsy therapy. Fair enough, Laura. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I don't think we, uh, first of all, I don't think we ever said that keto doesn't work uh, or can't work. I think the problem we have is that the current sentiment, current sentiment that keto is the best thing ever, <laughs> that to me is among the defining characteristics of a fad. And that's why we called it that. If it's working for you, you know, but I acknowledge that we might one day find the one thing that cures obesity, right? I mean, it's possible. And that that thing will look like a fad because it's the one greatest thing that we've, you know, like, I understand it's hard to tell. Yeah. Um, But... Um, what, I don't know. What do you guys think of the whole fad? I, you know, we don't. So, you know what? We don't need to go into it. <laughs> I don't. If you want to say something, we can say something. I don't have anything to say. No. <laughs> I mean, just because it's a fad doesn't mean you know it's not working. Right. Yeah. It, it could be popular because it's actually having good results. Right. Yeah. Like, but it's not going to work for every, everybody. So, And I appreciate your desire to educate us. I did go to that website. I did check it out. Um, I'm a little suspicious. Uh, not in because I couldn't read the blog. I could read the blog if I wanted to. But I don't have all the time in the world. And many of the entries were very long. They, they sounded very sciencey, though. It is a dot com, though. I'm, well, I, I, I'm almost not. I'm really not equipped personally to evaluate this in a one-shot situation. I would need to spend a lot of yeah. time becoming 
Mr. Science. It's a really crude test, but like I tend to favor .orgs or .govs over .coms. It's cheaper to get a .com. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, I, I did note that uh, the gentleman whose blog that is um, uh, does offer coaching for 150 bucks a month. So if that's what you want to do, um, you could do that. I do encourage uh, our listeners to go look and make the judgment for themselves. Again, I'm not equipped to make that judgment. But I did see in my feed an article from The Lancet. Um, coincidentally, I didn't look for it, but coincidentally it popped up. It describes an investigation into the association between carbohydrate intake and mortality. Hmm. Um, it looked at a number of it looked at, uh, I think, eight different cohorts that have been assembled over the years, which together amassed more than 430,000 subjects, uh, participants, controlling for factors like age, sex, obesity, smoking, smoking status, diabetes, hypertension, hypercholesterolemia, history of cardiovascular disease, and family history of cardiovascular disease. The conclusion is that the relationship between the risk of mortality and the percentage of energy derived from carbs, it's a U-shaped curve, lowest hazard for people is at 50 to 55% carbs. Um, keto diets, according to my cursory research, which is the only research I do, <laughs> sits at about five or 10% carbs. And even if you bump that up to 20, the study notes an almost double risk of all cause mortality for what it's worth. I mean, I think it kind of makes sense, right? Like we've put so much of an emphasis on fats as being like the driver for a lot of these chronic diseases, but like, fats have been part of our diet for thousands of years versus carbohydrates and specifically like processed sugars which only just came into our diets like a couple hundred years ago mm -hmm. so it does make sense like we're just our bodies haven't evolved to process them in an efficient way and we're seeing the effects of that where people are you know dying from these very carb heavy diets yeah but um, we, I think we've always been a pretty car well we've been an omnivorous species I don't know if that means carb heavy but why do we need to take it to extremes? Can we just eat some carbs and Well, that's some the thing. Keto? I mean, I was I was yeah. thinking about this, you know, like yeah. people talk about paleo and and all that kind of stuff and and uh, you know, so paleo assumes that you're I think it assumes that you're pretty much eating meat and vegetables. Mm. I meat think it's kind of like but low but definitely low carbs. Definitely. Yeah. And Which because carbs wasn't a you know, what there wasn't a lot of access to historically, I think there wasn't a lot of access to potato chips back in the caveman days. I there wasn't a the, chocolate tree? No. Yeah. yeah. Actually it was, it just wasn't chocolate yet. <laughs> yeah. No, but the funny thing about the paleo diet is that if you actually go back and look at like look at Stone Age or Bronze Age um, or Bronze Age diets, we actually don't really know what they ate. But what we do know is that what they ate was entire, like the carb to protein ratio was entirely dependent on where they lived. So That's there were some pretty, there were some pretty carby, carby cavemen out there. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, we don't but, know what they ate. And we, I mean, you know, anyway. I, I, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Oops, sorry, sorry, sorry. We can delete this entire thing and it never happened. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it anymore. It's an important thing to talk about. It's an important thing to talk about. But dude, people are like really engaged about it and they're really passionate, I can tell. I don't want engaged listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Laura, thanks. Oh, and I should say that, you know, it, it, I'm sort of contradicting myself by being skeptical of uh, Coach Jack on this website. I mean, he does say in his bio, you know, I was 300 pounds and I got, I did all this uh, by doing keto and also CrossFit and blah, 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 and you know, all this kind of stuff. So I should, according to my previous statements, be willing to accept Coach Jack's advice. Hmm. So, I don't know. Laura, thank you 
for sending that in. Let's move on. Uh, it's going to be a long time before we talk about it again. Uh, on the bright side, here's Victoria, who contacted us a while back, has been interviewing for med school. She got in touch with us to offer feedback about our advice. Let's so listen much, to Victoria. Oh, so much feedback. Yeah. I hope we were right. <laughs> hey, Dave and Short Coats. This is Victoria. I'm the med school applicant who called you guys and asked about me having a feeding tube during my interview. Uh, I want to let you guys know that your words of encouragement meant the world to me. I was so nervous about having my interview, especially with my feeding tube in. And it was so awesome to hear that from you guys, especially when you said I was a badass. Um, <laughs> you wanted to know how it went. My interview went absolutely amazing my condition ended up being a major talking point with my faculty interviewer and we talked about what i learned from being a patient what i learned from the medical side and also how we can do better in healthcare. recently about a week a little over a week ago i found out that i was accepted so that hmm. was just incredible news for me to get i i want to thank you guys for always putting on such an entertaining show and helping to give me the confidence I needed before my big day. I'm so happy to share this news with you. Thank you guys for everything. Maybe we should stick with non-diet oriented advice. Yeah. Just give other kinds of advice. Wait, that, she got in? That's, That's awesome. awesome. Um, Dude, congratulations so much. Congratulations. Such a nice I'm so glad you, again. yeah. Mm -hmm. I kind of got a little misty eyed <laughs> when I read it, when I heard that message. So glad that that uh, is working out for you and that it wasn't uh, as much of a problem as you thought it was going to be. And um, yeah, that's exactly, you know, what I think we kind of suspected would happen is that it would become a topic of conversation. You could use it um, as part of your application. Mm -hmm. Good job, Victoria. Welcome to the fold, Victoria. Yes. Happy to have you. Yeah. You can't tell them clapping. <laughs> yes. Um, do you want to exchange thoughts directly with your professors without even opening your mouths or mm. tapping on a keyboard? Not really. Mm. That would be bad for them. <laughs> Probably bad for us. <laughs> oh God. Well, maybe you can one day. This might maybe this will be a feature of med school. A collaboration <laughs> between the University of Washington and Carnegie Mellon University has demonstrated a quote multi-person non-invasive direct brain-to-brain -brain interface for collaborative problem solving, unquote. Aline. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. This is my space. This I can do whatever I want in here and no one can tell me what to do or what to think. Wow. I'm not okay with that. Okay. No, absolutely not. Yeah, this, uh, this, uh, this is a mm -hmm. limited task. I'll just go through it. Mm -hmm. um, this is task it okay, to what extent is it mind reading? That's okay. what I want to know. You, you, you be the judge. The task involves uh, two people, the senders, and a third person, the receiver. The sender's EEGs are analyzed in real time and decoded to determine their decisions about how to rotate a block in a Tetris-style game. Their decisions on how to do this are sent to the receiver over the internet, who integrates the information and makes their own decision to either turn the block or keep it in the same position. There's also an additional round in which the senders evaluate the receiver's decision and send feedback to the receiver to rectify possible incorrect decisions. Five groups did this. That's five groups of three people. So not a huge sample size. Their accuracy on average was 81.25%. So better than chance, hmm. which means that, according to the researchers, they are communicating with their brains in some sort of science fiction-y way, mm -hmm. which I think is rather cool. I don't, they couldn't, I, 
I don't. I want to. I want to know what it feels like. Oh, so actually, I read the paper to figure that out. Yeah, you know what? That's good that some people read the paper <laughs> in order to find answers to questions <laughs> yeah. that yeah. they might have because it's a super sci-fi and cool, right? Nope. So Self what it is is actually read. <laughs> yeah. So um. So they um use like a magnet to like stimulate your brain. Yeah. And so that makes you see like a light essentially is what it sounded like and that light was the indication that you needed to rotate the block ah. yeah so ah if i read that correctly like if someone else reads that yeah and you're like you completely misunderstood the paper i apologize but yeah justin's already got podcasting on the shortcut podcast he's got it down he's like oh yes make a sure. statement qualify that statement as yeah. being incorrect. <laughs> move on yeah but on the, um on the other hand they mentioned that all the data or like the pers- the the sender's decisions were based entirely on EEG and that was somehow coded into like a message and stuff like that. So that makes me wonder how much of it is like the EEG version of a polysomnograph, te- not polysomnograph, did Oh, shoot. What's polygraph? it called? Yeah, polygraph test. Uh, I actually got you on that one, too. Oh, um, thanks. So mm-hmm. the way they had it was, um, so the senders had a yes and a no on both sides of the screen, mm-hmm. and they were flashing at different frequencies. And they looked, if you look at one frequency, um, if you look at one frequency, your brain, like, EEG signal is, like, slightly elevated. And if you look at the lower frequency, it's, like, lower. So if it's higher, that means, like, say yes. And then that would make it so that it translates to that light that the receiver sees. So I don't know like the science on that, but that's memo to myself. Have Justin back on the podcast because he actually really does read the things. I mean, I just thought this was super interesting because of like the like implications of like how you perceive reality in like free will. I Mm -hmm. thought that was super cool. So 100 percent. Yeah, that was a very eloquent yeah. translation of the findings of the methods. For, You're awesome. Yeah, for I me who best. did not read. <laughs> <laughs> so I can see where this would be potentially problematic, as you said, Aline, um, with like mind reading and kind of invasion of privacy and things like mm. that. Um, but I also recently in class we were learning about some kind of neurological complications, um, neuropathology, and if someone has like a locked-in syndrome where they're basically paralyzed Mm. but can use their mind, I could see where something like this would be powerful in allowing for communication and... Yeah, um, I mean, if you can can do the same thing that um, Justin, you told us about um, and attach them to, you know, say different letters on a keyboard that you could see, um, that would allow you to say type out um, sentences directly without having to or words or whatever that would allow you to type out sentences directly without having to actually type um, which would be a useful communication modality I like, yeah. I like that and I use the word modality which makes me very very smart yeah. way to go I know listeners I you you know that I love a good health and beauty tip me too I mean look at me <laughs> beautiful but I have to draw the line somewhere. And that place <laughs> is drinking my own urine. <laughs> so, you know, I also know that bad ideas, finding bad ideas on the internet is relatively easy. But there are people out there who are drinking their own pee in the hopes that it will treat everything from fibromyalgia, immune disorders, acne, I'm sure cancer, other things. Here's a quote from a BBC article. My friend sent me a YouTube video of the urine therapy. I stood up in the bathtub, urinated into my hands, and drank it. I noted immediately that I ingested too much sodium and vowed to begin removing sodium from my diet immediately. That's not how your kidneys work. Sounds like a super taster. Sounds like nonsense. (laughs) I noticed immediately that I ingested too much. Okay, so you know how you don't do that? 
don't drink your own pee. <laughs> also, for I noticed experiment. immediately that I, when I drank my pee, it was not a good yeah. idea. And that's why I'm drinking my own pee. Yeah. What in the f <laughs> is that logic? Okay, well, Dave, what is wrong with drinking your own urine? It was in your body at some point. It's just going back in. Wait, wait, wait. Before well, I make fun of this, are you being serious? <laughs> no, I'm asking a genuine rhetorical question. What's wrong with drinking your own urine? So it, <laughs> it was at one point sterile in your body, but as it crosses the threshold mm -hmm. of, you know, the urethra, it becomes contaminated. Yeah. And at that point, it's it's not sterile anymore. And you just oh. drink it really fast, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, I'm sure, I, I'm sure there's a point at which drinking your own urine can actually be deleterious to your health because of what's in the urine besides bacteria. I mean, it, it's, has... it is, after all, a waste product. No, yeah. but if you keep staying well hydrated, you'll just flush it right out again. Do more urine. I, I guess... It'll uh, just be super urine. I, I guess the other thing I would su suggest is that... Okay, so I think everybody here, I hope everybody here... If you if you don't feel this way, you don't need to say anything. <laughs> I think everybody here is feeling a certain amount of revulsion. And that revulsion is perhaps a product of, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of experience being uh, animals. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that hardly any of that experience involves drinking pee because we're disgusted by it. And that has, you know, evolutionary, you know, like, you know, see, see what I'm saying? Like... There's a reason why we feel uncomfortable with this, okay. and it's not because, um, you know, I don't know, the Kardashians didn't do it enough, and you know. Well, what if we use a clean? Catch I have no idea what I just said. Okay. Well, what if we only drank clean catch specimens? I don't know what that is. Oh, like midstream catch? It's a it's a method that we use for um for your analysis. Like you pee for a little bit to wash all the bacteria out, and then you start filling up the cup so that mm -hmm. that way we reduce the risk of contamination to a urine culture. No. What? Yeah, still no. Yeah. Still no. I mean, okay. Yeah. I think the problem with the article too was like I didn't see any actual science in there. Like that exactly. lady who peed into her hands didn't have a control, didn't have <laughs> like any sort of baseline. So it's just like, oh yeah, I didn't. It was better. Like also, I've, her hands are not a sterile environment either. Yeah. Like if if there's science that backs it up, then okay, yeah, sure, I'll be open to it. I guess I'm. I try to keep an open mind. She not only drinks <laughs> yeah. the urine, but she gargles with it, brushes her teeth with it, and puts it in her eyes. Ooh, okay, you should not brush your teeth in it because like it, because it can wear away your enamel. Urine yeah, can also. What? Well, I guess it's acidic. No, or, or basic. Well, I basic. guess it depends on what pH your urine is. Mm. But well, more importantly, when you brush your teeth, you're introducing microcuts, and so you're basically putting urine into your bloodstream. Right. So Ooh. you shouldn't do that. No. Yeah. Please, please don't do that. Anyone listening to this? Please. You know, Justin, I'm going to drop some science on you from another qu woman quoted in the article. Oh, okay. Uh, she she started using it after she had an allergic reaction to a bug bite, and lo and behold, her bite healed within three days. Hey, bug bites normally heal in three days. Science. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I had a bug bite and I didn't do anything, it would heal in three days, too. Mm. Okay. There is the thing with jellyfish, though, right? When you get some jellyfish. Oh, oh yeah. No, don't. It. Don't. Don't actually, though. Oh, <laughs> now she's like, I don't, don't know the science. Oh, yeah. No. Either, so. Oh, no. It actually doesn't improve it any. Jellyfish strings are not. Um, the, jelly, the, the jellyfish things are, in fact, not really... Um, are inactivated by by basic pH, but your urine is not basic enough unless if you have I don't know a Proteus infection or something like that in order to neutralize the stingers. So don't pee on. You're infected in with Proteus. I need you to pee on me. <laughs> um, another <laughs> a, another woman I'd be surprised if we didn't hadn't talked about on the show before because uh, this happened a while ago. Said she'd begun drinking her dog's urine when she was depressed, yeah. sad, and covered with bad acne. That was particularly. Um, 
she po Stomach -turning posted a video on Facebook. Uh, that video has been taken down for some reason. <laughs> um, but here she is. You guys can oh. check her out. Um, oh, this cute dog. Um, oh, no, no, no. I, I, I would, um, you're not going to play if it, are I you? Could find, no, if I could find okay. the video, I would, of course, have a nice... It's just a screenshot. Juicy yeah. quote, but it's just a screenshot. Juicy. C'est la fille. I think it's kind of inspiring, though. Like, she was sad before, and then maybe she just had, like, a long, lingering thing she wanted to do in the back of her head, and she never had the courage to. And then when she did, she became happier. Like, that that, that could be a lesson you could take out of that. Oh. Yeah. Follow, follow your dreams. Okay, wait. <laughs> to, to be fair, to be fair, people said the same thing about fecal transplants. Okay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, to play the devil's advocate to myself here. Yeah. I think, you know, maybe there is merit, but I do agree. Maybe this is worth investigating, but in a, you know, well-designed and clinical trial-y way with controls yeah. and, you know, being informed by science, basically. I don't think, though, I, I mean, uh. yes, but I, I, I don't think that the advent of fecal transplants means that you should sit down with a knife and fork and a plate and eat some poop. I mean, that's just not really how science works. Well, no, you got to use a tube for one thing. I don't know what you got to use, but, you know. <laughs> but to be fair, I feel like mm, a lot of medicines came about from like weird situations way back in time where you ate some weird plant and then yeah. your rash went away like somebody maybe had to do this it first is like you drink your dog's pee and your rash goes away I don't know. Yeah, this well, is the observation phase of the scientific method before you make the hypothesis, right? Well, you yeah. know, I mean, there, there are, so I bet, I, well, I mean, there are cultures in which uh, you, for instance, and I don't know if I've got the details right, don't at me, um, but, you know, you, you, uh, you eat peyote, uh, mm -hmm. hallucinogenic, and then that you, you pee it out, and then you drink that to, you know, it sort of concentrates the, the hallucinogen. You drink that, you get visions, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's not a, th that's, that's a, a thing that happens. Are you sure that's a thing? Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere in a book. Probably, perhaps a novel. Oh. So maybe not oh. a... Maybe not a real book. Oh, my impression was says that you make peyote tea like a regular person. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. if Okay, you can at me. If somebody knows what that is... If somebody actually knows that this happens for sure, then definitely send me a link. I'm not going to look it up. I, I'm actually I might at this point, but um, can we switch pictures on the computer? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, a for for the listeners. It was a, the woman bending over over her dog. Like collecting urine. Collecting urine as the dog is clearly leg lifted. Yeah. Being, so. in, in a regular plastic cup. Just, yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he just yeah. put, and Dave just decided to put it up there right in front of me for like 10 minutes. It's good for you. It builds character. <laughs> Adversity is character building. If you think you get a better education outcome by going to a school that's ranked highly on U.S. News and World Report's rankings, you are probably mistaken. This is a point that we make often, but you know, I'm happy to see, I'm happy to see my suspicions confirmed, maybe a little confirmation bias, you know. An analysis in the BMJ looked at almost a million hospital admissions treated by more than 30,000 doctors. There was no, little or no relation found in 30-day mortality or readmissions between physicians who graduated from higher-ranking schools and those attending lower-ranking schools. Docs from higher-ranking schools did spend slightly less on their patients by about $36 on average. So, don't mm. be, don't, don't believe the hype. Go to a school that fits you personally like a glove. And that is always going to be our advice on the Shark Podcast. Yeah. 
I seem to remember when I was getting ready to apply to med school that like one of the one of the best pieces of advice I got is that it it really only matters if you go to the very best or the very worst, but everything in between is, you know, adequate. You <laughs> will graduate and practice medicine, but it doesn't really matter unless you're like on either end of the bell curve, it yep. seems like. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, the thing about med school is, you know, when or, or, or PA school, it's not done. Your, your learning isn't complete when you get you've got really just the basics oh yeah far i mean you know like finished. you're gonna spend a lifetime learning and so you know it's arguably more important what you learn after med school than what you learned in med school yeah mm-hmm. mm-hmm. maybe what matters more too that we don't emphasize in these rankings is like the level of support that schools offer because mm-hmm. that's a much better metric i think of the quality I, of a school i think those are taken into account okay again i didn't do my research i'm sorry but i think those are some of those issues are taken into account when you look at rankings and things like that but a lot of times the rankings are about like mcat scores and you know step one scores and step two score and all that kind of stuff which you know may or may not directly but what did the pas take a test uh for boards or for yeah. admission they're for 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 anything for both yeah uh, so for admission you do like gre okay yeah. and then there's yeah. the pants afterward which is your board exam. <laughs> the pants? The pants. yeah that's what yeah Put best name pants. ever yeah. um, oh gosh i wish and is there uh so there's so that's the board that you yeah do. yes okay. mm-hmm. pants yeah. got it i should know the mm-hmm. acronym by now but it's all right yeah, you but don't just, have to. just backtracking i absolutely agree with aline i think that is that is that if there's anything that sh- that can make you make or break your medical school choice it's whether you'll get the, enough support to succeed in medical school people different people are going to need different levels of support and there's nothing wrong with needing more or less than that agreed well we'll be putting a link to all the topics we've discussed in this episode show notes at the shortcut.com but for now we're done guys thank you so much for joining me on today's show and thank you listeners for making us a part of your week if you like what you heard today we hope we've earned your subscription not only do we give out free advice it might be good advice so send your questions or whatever you like to the shortcuts at gmail.com or you can leave us a message at 347 short ct we'll talk about it on the show and don't forget to contribute your recipes for med school success by visiting theshortcode.com and clicking on the orange send in a recipe button just like a bunch of people have. Wait, wait, wait. You didn't say goodbye to us individually like you usually do. Because I forgot to write down your names when I... <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm Irisa. This is Aline. Irisa, Aline, Annie, Justin. Thank you so much. And Justin's off to a test. Yeah. yeah. Wish you uh, luck. Good luck. Good luck. And why not right now... Go ahead, Justin. And why not right now, while your podcast app is open, give us some stars and a review. Um, that would help us out very much. A little external validation. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our executive producer is Jason Lewis. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox. And our closing music is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week. Bye.